Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. I consider myself one of the luckiest people in the world. Not only do I have great family and friends, but I have a great job and I get to interview people on this podcast that are like some of the most amazing people in the world and do such amazing things, taking care of patients. And our guest today really uh, is representative of that. And it's my friend and former colleague from the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Sylvia Perez Proto. And she's from Uruguay. So she's our first guest from Uruguay. So it's so much fun. I love different accents and (laughs) so excited to have you. So welcome, Sylvia. Oh my God! Thank you so much. It's an honor to, for me to be here today. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have fun and at the same time really share a lot of really interesting perspective that I think many of our audience probably have never really talked about. So let me chat a bit with you, Sydney, our excellent producer. Have you given thought much thought to end of life? You know, because that's kind of our focus today. Uh, Dr. Perez Proto is uh, an worldwide recognized expert in things related to end of life. It's so interesting to me, Ed, that you asked that because I'm going to get a little personal for a second, but I was actually in therapy as a child because of how often I asked about death, like as a child before I could even really understand it. But I I think it was me trying to understand it. Um, So it was, that was my first uh, experience in therapy was because I was asking so many questions and my parents were like, what are we doing to make her ask about death all the time as a 10 year old? But yeah. So I guess you could say I've thought about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's something that people think about and then, and then they forget about it and, or don't, or don't feel comfortable speaking about. And so one of the ways that I first interacted with Sylvia was we had, I was invited to this dinner. It was called Death Over Dinner. And it was at this restaurant in downtown Cleveland. And we met and we were put in tables. And I was with other clinicians. And we were facilitated by an individual who talked to us about talking about death. And it was very emotional. I didn't even know the, the my table mates in the beginning. And, but it was such an emotional experience. You know, we got really deep into talking about death. And I, I found it so healing and and so freeing that I then brought that home and we did it, you know, as a family. And then I've since done it with friends, you know, and, and I know I don't want to jump too far ahead, uh, but I know Sylvia has, has done a lot of work in this area that I really want her to share about it. So hopefully everyone sit tight. This is going to be, uh, be really fun. So again, welcoming Sylvia, we met at the Cleveland clinic. Uh, I'll let her tell her story, but, but the first question we always ask all of our guests, Sylvia is, your favorite music. So like, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, wow. So depending on the day, probably, uh, but my uh, most favorite group is the Beatles. I always say that I was born late because I couldn't see them live. Uh, so if something like takes to my roots when I was little, it was the Beatles. So yes. Oh, that's great. And and is there a life mantra or message that you carry with you that sort of guides you? 
Well, let's let's connect with the music. So I think good day, sunshine, right? I'm a very positive person. I try to see always the good things. And also, all you need is love, right? I, I think these two songs mark how I am. Like uh, for years, I never care about finances. <laughs> Now I'm thinking about it because of my age, you know? But uh, yes, I'm very uh, careless and, you know, positive. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I, and I love that about you. I remember, you know, when you would come and be our guest in the C-suite, And you're, you have this infectious attitude. I think people pretty pick up on it already. Uh, just yeah. um, your enthusiasm and your passion for, for life and for patient care. Uh, so I want to jump right in now. So tell us your story. Yeah, you, you uh, obviously were born in Uruguay, but tell us your story, how you sort of grew up and came to Cleveland and the Cleveland Clinic. And then I'll ask you again in case you forget, but you know how, how you came to focus uh, sort of on end of life. Yes, so I can start that I was born in a very small town in Uruguay, uh, uh, near the capital city, but it was not the capital city. And my father was a doctor. So when he finished his day, he used to pick us up and go to see a couple of patients at home. And I remember one day he said, so-and-so is not going to be there because he died and we are going to check on the wife. So it was a time that nobody cares about billing or, you know, it was only to check on her. And uh, I remember how much he cared about her, his patients. And I think that was inspiring for me to get into medical school. Um, and then, you know, death, it was one of the thousands of topics we talk about at the table, dinner table with my family. So my family comes from an Italian family, so we get all together to eat and we are really loud and we talk about everything. So that was one more topic. So uh, I think that it was surprising to me when I came to the United States, how difficult it was for people to talk about this. Uh, and that sometimes was uh, difficult when I had patients in the ICU, you know, uh, because I thought, well, this patient with this chronic disease should have thought about this and talked to the family about it. And this had not happened. So I think that inspired me as an intensivist trying to save every patient I can. Uh, on the other hand, when we don't have that possibility to give a good death, you know, to offer yeah. a good death. And, and, and I think now what moves me is to understand the goals of the patient, what matters most, and deliver that care. So goal, concord, and care for me will be the mantra today. Yeah, no, that's, that's inspiring. And it's, a, it's amazing, right? The influence of our parents and, and watching them and how they interact and how that influences sort of the direction that, that we sometimes go and how you ended up to focus on end of life. So tell us about hum humanism and empathy and death. So that's sort of what you, you're talking about that you've brought, that you've brought in, which was missing at least in, in, West, in North America. Uh, so yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and how you brought that into the conversation? Yeah, so I think um, there are spots of people doing amazing things. So I don't think it was not done or... Uh, what I think is our training years ago was don't be very connected with patients. You have to be strong for the patients. If you get connected, you can be uh, damaged for years. Like in, you are not going to be able to be strong to care for your patients. So we were like uh, taught to be 
like distanced from our patients. And that I think it was bad for us and also for the patients. So, and intentionally we were uh, like making us apart. Um, and also if you see our training is also always to save the patient, to extend the life without checking in, right? What exactly the, really the patient wants. Uh, so this was not part of our training, asking questions like what matters most to you today. This was not in our, uh, you know, questions that we usually ask patients in the past. So I, I think slowly things have changed. Um, putting ourselves in the, in the shoes of our patients, being empathic or compassionate when we care for the patients, it's not going to damage us. It's going to help us to build that empathy and to understand our patients and to connect person to person, soul to soul. And it's going to, it gives, keeps us uh, connected to the why, why we are a doctor, right? Why you are a nurse, why you are a respiratory therapist. I think that is very important to keep our connection as, a, as people, you know? So I think that is important. And the other thing is, if we see death as a natural act, as part of our life cycle, uh, we are going to be less scared. And also we are going to accept more the moment that this happening and then enjoy that time as well. That sounds weird that to say enjoy, but I've seen families remembering things and connecting in that time uh, when you are able to provide uh, the care with the patient is not in pain, not in respiratory stress, but is alert and uh, oriented and able to remember and to talk and to uh, get a hug. And so I think that is very important as well to change how we care. And this is not only for palliativists, right? We all have to have training on how to give uh, these moments to our patients uh, in the ICU, in the floor, uh, at home. Uh, and it's not only for palliative care physicians or, or providers, it's for everyone who is caring for patients at the end of life. Yeah, that's, that's really great perspective. And you know, it reminded me as you were speaking of a couple situations, you know, in my own experience where we took some digital technologies working with clinicians like yourself to help in that whole process. And if we have time at the end, um, maybe we'll share a story or two, because I'm sure you have many, many more than I do. But it, it's it's also the point that we can help uh, in, in this process, even if we're sort of on the technology side or, or digital side. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. We, we talked about it already or touched on it in this whole concept of death over dinner, because this is really practical too. So not only are, are people listening, gaining some insights into end of life care and empathy and things like that for the patient experience, but some practical things that we can all do. So can you just walk us through what death over dinner is? And, and I know that you were involved with a specific one for healthcare, a specific version of that. Yes. Yeah, so the story starts with Michael Hebb and you, you can look it up. Uh, he has an amazing website. So Michael years ago thought the same. He, based on his own experience with his family, uh, he said this is a conversation that is not happening. 
and he started this movement of leftover dinners that there's a website where you can organize your own dinner with friends or family, as you said, and I'm so excited that you did it. Um, so you can invite them with a set of questions and during dinner, you know, breaking bread, you connect with yourself and your humanity with others in the, in the at the table and answering those questions and sharing uh, what your thoughts are about your end of life and uh, your your death and and you know people will say oh how i will sit and talk about death is it's not you're talking about life and how you live at to the end right and what matters most on those times and and even today like says if i have 30 days to live what would you, uh, you do right and and that changes your perspective right so uh, sometimes we, it's as John Lennon says, like life is what is happening while you are busy doing other other things, right? So, uh, so sometimes talking about these things puts everything in perspective. Uh, when I heard him talking about this in the Empathy Summit that Dr. Boise organized every year, I said, oh my God, this is exactly what we need in healthcare because when we lose a patient, we feel that we we uh, we had a failure, right? We feel that we fail our patient, that we are defeated. And sometimes we cry alone in our way home or in the locker room, and we don't share those uh, feelings, right? Because you should be the, the strong one helping others. So, uh, and I thought having that uh, space to share and also the different perspectives, like, there's a lot of written about how different uh, specialities or, or team members see the patient. Even though we all have the patient in the center, uh, the intensivist wants the patient not to suffer. Surgeons have like a covenant of I will keep you alive uh, because, you know, they saw in the patient in the office and then they have to operate on them and then they want them to go back to their uh, life with a better quality of life. So life is the most important thing. And the nurses that are 12 hours with the patients are more about what matters most to you now. Uh, what is your story? What happens in your family? So all of us have the patient in the middle, in the center, but from different perspectives. And sometimes conflict appear most uh, commonly described in the ICU, right? Uh, highly stressed, very difficult uh, patients in the sense that they are very sick. And then uh, how we connect with each other, understanding the goal is the best for the patient, but sometimes with different perspectives. So we work with Michael together. Uh, we made this website, uh, Death Over Dinner for Healthcare, and the goal is in the table to have different uh, team members, yeah. right? To be multidisciplinary and be able to share your uh, thoughts about that. So we start with a celebration. So we uh, light a candle. Remember I, someone who uh, left this world. And uh, it was very surprising to me that in the table, some of the members talked about the patient, not a family member. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then during the dinner, you are answering these different questions and some are personal and some are uh, related to patient care. And the end, we close with the pause uh, brought by Jonathan Bartels, 
uh, that uh, is to honor the person, honor all the patients we have taken care of, all the people we named during the night, and honor our teams, right? So, and then we finish with a appreciation in the round where we say something positive about someone who isn't your right, and then everybody gets a appreciation. And we close the dinner and we go back to the world <laughs> after <laughs> that intense moment. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, like I already mentioned, it, it was uh, pretty life-changing and life-affirming and, and it's really important to do for the reasons that you talked about. I mean, because we ignore that and, and try to put it in the corner and then don't deal with it and it impacts us consciously and subconsciously. So it's, it's better to bring in the open. And as you said, it should be something celebrated. So you're flipping instead of something to be afraid of and to always be mourning, it's something that you can celebrate. So tell us, you know, I'd be interested in your perspective, Sylvia, in terms of, you know, most of our audience are digital leaders like myself and how can we help uh, clinicians and help their patients when it comes to end of life? Is there any sort of digital type things or technology that how we might work clo more closely together to help you and your, your colleagues and taking care of patients end of life? Yes. So and actually, I, actually I can share our story in, uh, uh, in our organization. So one of the things that is difficult for us in the middle of the night, you are receiving a patient in the emergency room or in the ICU and where is documented that discussion where the patient said what matters most to the patient, right? Uh, so that we can say this uh, conversation happened or not. I mean, this patient has a document or not. So the literature says that we should have one specific place in, in the chart, in the medical record, to have these discussions documented, these documents uh, loaded, so for easy access. And then we partner with Alison Weathers at the Cleveland Clinic that I'm sure you know. <laughs> and we worked together for years. And actually we did an advanced care planning navigator where uh, we have the order in Ohio for surrogates. And if the patient has a document, it's there and you can go directly to the document. If not, uh, we write who is the surrogate per law. Uh, so it's easy to find the person if the patient doesn't have capacity. And then all the discussions are there because we have a note type, it's a dance care planning note. And then we have the questions that we actually use, uh, Ariande Labs questions. Um, and then, uh, so these questions are validated by research, validated by patients. So there are questions like how much do you want to go through in order to get more time? Uh, how much your loved ones know about your wishes? Um, so these type of questions about yeah. what are your fears? And then, you know, go start the discussions. And so, and the other very cool thing with it, we ask patients, what do you need? And some patients said, you know, I want to ask, answer this question myself and then send it to the doctor. So we actually did an interface with my chart. And so the patients can answer these questions in their uh, portal and then send it to the advanced planning navigator as patient enter data. So all these tools are helping us to have different options for different people. 
So some people like to have the conversation with someone and ask documenting everything. Others want to document it themselves. I, I think these uh, pieces of technology have helped us, you know, to have advanced care planning. And uh, of course you need marketing <laughs> internal to everybody know where things are. So to be aware and then make the behavioral change to go and there and see if that happened. And, and, and the ultimate goal is to offer the treatment that is aligned to the patient's wishes, right? This is the ultimate goal. Yes. Um, so yes, many things uh, we have worked with uh, IT over That's the fair. years. Yeah, and for the audience, so Allison, she's the Associate Chief Medical Information Officer. So it doesn't have to be a doctor, but someone in your clinical team uh, on, in technology should work closely with the clinicians and, and really focus on end of life for all the reasons that Sylvia was sharing. I, I, I recall just really quickly one story, and then I want to talk about the pause, where, uh, you know, I, I, I remember I could think of many stories, but one in particular where we were called to help uh, help an ICU patient become mobile mobile um, in their bed. Their wish was to die outside in the sun, you know, because mm-hmm. who wants to die in a hospital yeah. room? And mm-hmm. so they wanted to die outside. Uh, but, you know, they required some life support enhancements. And so we were, we all worked, everyone worked together to make that happen. And they wanted to die singing hymns in the sun, surrounded by their family. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. So everyone worked together, brought them out. And with the sun was shining, <laughs> thankfully. And uh, they all held hands, all the family around their father, grandfather, and sang hymns. And he passed away. It was a beautiful moment, you know, to what you were saying, Sylvia. It doesn't have to be this horrid moment, but they had time to talk about it, plan, you know, put their wishes documented. Um, so it's so important. And that's, I hope, you know, when my time comes, I have an experience like that. Uh, and, you know, we just wish that for everyone, right? To, yes. to be surrounded by people they love and, you know. So so digital tech leaders, you can really get involved and partner and in, in make things happen. Let's talk another practical thing, which is the pause. So I, uh, you brought the concept of the pause to the Cleveland Clinic, which is now utilized uh, everywhere in the entire system. Can you share what the pause is and how that works? Yeah, so, and, and as I promised uh, to Jonathan Bartels, uh, he is the creator. So basically this starts like, Ancients ago, right? Like, uh, like a chaplain would do a pause, or even Amy Green always says that uh, is our uh, director for spiritual care. She said when there was a you know passing someone in the street, you stop and pause, right? This is something that had been done for years. However, what Jonathan did that it was the difference is that the healthcare team, after all the efforts, uh, and we declare the patient is dead then we initiate the pause. It's, it's different because yeah. we usually, in my previous experience, when a patient passes away, I, I'm a physician, I go and declare death, I say the time, the nurse start preparing the body, I call the family to the family enter if, if they were not there. Uh, if the family is there, I say, yes, he passed away, I'm so sorry, I'm here for you, these things. And then we move on. Right, and whatever is happening inside us is buried, right? So when I, I heard the pause 
by a nurse that uh, they did it uh, in the CVICU because it was a fellow from Jonathan's hospital coming to the CVICU and this nurse that it was a um, manager there, uh, Debbie Klein said, oh my God, what has happened? This is amazing. We need to do it across the organization. And, and you know us, we are already organized. Yeah. So we did pilots and we had a <laughs> script and blah, 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 and get feedback. And then when we felt that it was the right thing to do, we expanded to different units. So basically, it's something very simple. Uh, every time a patient pa like dies, after we, we declare the patient dead, we, we gather around the body and we say words like, uh, we are here to honor uh, John Smith. He was a father, he was a grandfather, he loved, he was loved. And we are honor his life and honor the work of the team. And then we pause yeah. and then we say, thank you. And it's a moment that there's no religion it's only every person does it in their own way. And, uh, and it's a moment to close. You will close the relationship with this patient, even if it's a long relationship or it's just away there in the ED, in the emergency department. Uh, it's a person and we lost this life and it's something important. So it's to uh, elevate that moment, right? And, and, and take a pause and understand what just happened. Yeah and honor that moment. Um, if there's a family member there, we ask permission. We say, this is a tradition that we do here. Um, would you allow us to do it with you? Or if I had only one family that said, no, we prefer to, uh, to pray with him. So we did it in the break room as a team. And then I remember you, uh, Eddie, uh, brought this to the executive team and I have some news for you because actually in the huddles every day, when they finish, they say all the names of the day before, they could die the day before and they do the pause. And the joint commission was, was here a couple of years ago and they thought that it was one of the 15 best practices at the Cleveland Clinic. Wow. Uh, so that was something like validating what uh, Jonathan had done and we have done and then again, IT helping us. So we did an app with the words because, you know, even the first time I did it, it was like, oh my God, this is too vulnerable for me. I'm not used to this. So having words helps. So we did an app that it was all internal with IT. And then now uh, we partner with Michael Hebb and Jonathan and we have a free app. So you can look for it in Android or, or in uh, Apple and they pause and has a, a very nice uh, sing, sign, like a green sign. And there, there are the words, we have it in many languages. And there's a way to put feedback, to tell your story. And, and there's some guide on how to do it. Because the first time is hard. Uh, I, I'm telling you, we are not used to be vulnerable in, in healthcare, uh, but it's wonderful. I cannot imagine how I used to do it without doing the pause, you know? Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, another good example. Thank you of uh, bringing in technology. But yeah, that's great that you share the best practice, you know, with anyone around the world. So you can you can Google that, look in the app store or what have you and, and find that. And so even if you're a listener who's in in digital or tech, uh, you can still bring this forward to your leadership at your hospital and health system just because you're 
you're still part of the healthcare team. And so uh, don't don't be afraid. And for listeners that are not part of a hospital or payer where, where this might come up, uh, you can do the same in your company. And so Sylvia, you be, might be happy to learn that I brought the pause to my employer, so Tech Mahendra. And uh, at the end of all of our huddles, we, we pause. Now we're several steps removed now because we don't take care of patients, but we take care and partner with health systems and payers and life science companies that do take care of patients. So uh, we always pick a different health system or payer or life science company, and we do a pause. And again, we give thanks for them. So sometimes, you know, Cleveland Clinic, we give thanks for the Cleveland Clinic. Thanks for all the work that is done there and the service to the patients. And, uh, you know, in a a non-religious way, however people feel most comfortable, you know, it's all, you know, silent at this point, you know, they can acknowledge or honor that organization. And so so I just thought it was important in our company, you know, with health and life sciences that we always remember that we're not a tech company. We're health and life sciences. We are part of the caregiver community. And so doing the pause is one way to make it happen. So whether you're you're a listener who's in a tech company or actually closer to the ground working in the the industry at a hospital or payer or life sciences company, uh, you can make the pause happen. And it's, it's so meaningful. It just changes everything. It rebases everyone like, oh, yeah, that's why. Let's quit fighting over stupid things. <laughs> let's let's exactly. focus, right? Let's focus on the mission of the organization. Wow, I, I could keep talking forever. This is so good. And I, I just love reconnecting with you. And it makes me uh, relish the times again that, that we all had together. In closing, is there an area, Sylvia, that I didn't ask about or we didn't, we want to talk a little bit more about? Is there any last sort of comment that you might have? Uh, you know, what I can share that um, I have a, a friend who is an author of a book. The name is uh, Deep, Deep Drowned Breath, uh, Dr. Eli, Wes Eli. He's a physician scientist, and he uh, just wrote this book. And uh, he has one chapter about end-of-life care in the ICU. So we know that one every five people who die in the, in the United States was in the ICU or die in the ICU. So it's so important for my colleagues uh, to understand death as a natural uh, part of our lives. Yes. Uh, and one of the things we did uh, years ago was to have book clubs and, you know, bring books, talk about it, um, helping uh, different spaces to, to uh, open up. I think this is what is missing in healthcare. We are so busy uh, all the time with, uh, sometimes we have little time to reconnect with our patients and we are a lot of time with the computer. So anything you can do in order to decrease the time in the screen (laughs) helps us. And also uh, all these type of uh, humanistic uh, activities like uh, the book club were very, very uh, successful at the clinic. And then uh, we did end of like grand rounds. And we tried to bring uh, the author of the book or someone from the book. So now I'm, I'm focusing this book about um, the ICU care. And, you know, I'm, I'm bringing this up because we, there are all things that are not costly. Uh, that yeah. is only, you know, the initiative and having some, 
passionate people to start working together. Um, and I think opening the space for healthcare providers to share in interdisciplinary teams is, is the answer yeah. to that. Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. And this has been so inspiring and refreshing. You know, we, we covered a lot of ground today and, and it was very practical. And, and, and I like what you said at the end. There, there are opportunities for us to partner together to, to make your life as efficient as possible so we can spend more time, you know, providing that empathetic, that per, very personalized care. So, Sylvia, thank you so much for being our guest. It was just a, an amazing time. Oh, thank you for having me. It was wonderful to connect again. All right, until next time. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.